Hello. Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com. And thanks to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This week, we have a message from Disney Plus Japan. Disney Plus Japan. Now streaming on demand. All of your favorite Marvel, Star Wars, and Disney animated content, plus original programming made exclusively for the Japan market. With a lineup including the 44-year-old Mickey Mouse Club, a full-length animated film about a Japanese Disney princess that Japanese people will love but Westerners will condemn as racist, copies of the videos that police confiscated from those DSLR-toting cameramen who spend every day wandering around Tokyo Disneyland, and if you like the live-action Lion King, you'll love when we do that to all of the Ghibli films. Disney Plus Japan. It's like anime, but made in America, so... worse. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is Tom Lee, Associate Professor of Politics and author of Japan's Aging Peace, Pacifism and Militarism in the 21st Century. Coincidentally, he's also our resident River Cruise food critic who specializes exclusively in reviewing momiji manju. Tom, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. On this week's show, I've started keeping track of North Korean holidays, so I know what days I should be ready to have a TV spot canceled due to a missile launch. In an increasingly uncertain security situation, we'll talk to Tom about why the question might not be, what should Japan do? It might be, what can Japan do? Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, Bobby, this week I'm excited to be reporting on a brand new river cruise that will soon commence on the Napa River in Ukraine, which uses a large boat, within which is nested a smaller boat, within which there is another smaller boat, which unfortunately this week failed to pass a crucial safety inspection on its maiden voyage. A spokesman for the mysterious secret benefactor operator responded by saying, Crimea River, we have been putting in all the relevant safety measures and are rushing to restore capacity. And, for the first time ever, this year's annual River Cruise Haiku Contest is being held in English to allow lots of non-Japanese the opportunity to show the world that they know how many syllables you need for a haiku and absolutely nothing else about haiku. All that and more, but first, Soap Talk. Uh, unfortunately, Brian couldn't be here this week because he bought into crypto seven days ago and is dealing with the fallout from that. And apparently, um, so are you, Tom, from your, your Twitter memes. Yeah, it's not been a good time for the crypto hodlers, but just going to hodl until I get to the moon. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't really tell how bad it was because like everything that you were posting on Twitter, it seemed like you had a sense of humor about it, but also like the frequency with which you were posting made it seem like it might be a big deal. No, it's my wife's listening to this, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's actually not a big deal. It's I'm actually still a bit up, but it the actual crypto market has tanked like 70% in a week. Yeah. So it is quite significant, but that's just the community of crypto folks. I mean, it's just this big game that everyone's playing. Right, And it could be something, it could be an asset that has significant value in the future. People aren't sure yet. Or it could just be this giant Ponzi scheme. And so while you're waiting for it to work itself out, what else can you do but 
either sell or buy the dip or post a bunch of memes and enjoy the ride <laughs> and get something out of it. I think it's the cost of admission for having crypto. I, I saw a meme which was a, a load of dishes, uh, dish plates that were in a, a glass cupboard that want, like it, they'd all fallen down. So once you open the cupboard door, it was clear they were all going to smash down. No way of recovering. And the caption was, it's only a loss if you sell. Right, like if you're holding the coins, you've still got you've still got a Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, but my um, yeah, and the plates only plates only go up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, these plates are definitely going to be useful for exchange of goods or services or something in the future. Ali, you you also have a little bit invested, don't you? I've got a very small amount. Well, what I did was I foolishly invested in a crypto index fund, so, which is which is basically. Uh, it's like the top the top 20 like crypto coins like this this machine automatically buys them and then then tracks the value now of course what practically that means is it's got bitcoin and ethereum in it which are the only ones which anyone cares about and then 18 absolute dog shit coins uh that are the ones which obviously people sell first because they were never worth anything in the first place um but you know i'm just not i'm not thinking about it i don't care mm. because and this is my this is my prediction bobby right bitcoin is either worth nothing or significantly more than it is now. And I'm right about one of those two predictions. <laughs> well, you guys are not the only two who have thrown money away. Um, I went to see the wallpaper that was hung in my new house this week. Oh, you tweeted about this. Yeah, my wife's uncle recommended a guy to do the wallpaper in the house. And we were like, is he good? And he was like, oh, yeah, he's been doing this for 65 years, which in retrospect should have been a red flag because the guy can't see and it's so bad it's so, like there's <laughs> bubbles the lines where he he uh, had like to to match sheets there's spaces between them sometimes they don't reach all the way to the wall and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to pay him a little bit for his time and then hire somebody else to completely redo it can you pay him in bitcoin at least so it's a bit cheaper <laughs> I'll ask him if he'll take it. Probably smarter than that. <laughs> the joke, I mean, the reason why people buy crypto is because they think it's a hedge against inflation. That if you just keep your money in the bank, you lose 4% every year from inflation right, right. or so. But if you look at how people who have crypto right now, they're down like 80%, right? So it's not a hedge. <laughs> oh, it's just efficient. They're, they're, they're getting all of their deflation done in one easy <laughs> month, monthly transaction. Uh, can I jump real quick to something on Tom's Twitter that I took heart from? Tom, you had a, a really yes. nice thread about the aging problem and the birth rate in Japan. That the takeaway from the thread was this idea that you know everybody panics and says Japan's going to disappear as a country. And I think your idea at the end was that that countries don't stop existing; they just change the way that they are. Do you think you think there's there's hope for Japan down the line? I do. That. I'm very impressed with the current generation. I mean, think about having decades of stagnation quite incompetent government, huge natural disasters. They just hosted the Olympics, which was just just awful uh, in terms <laughs> of costs. Uh, and that yet, you know, folks still work hard. They still want to start families. They still want a career, but they've adjusted their expectation. It's not your bubble generation of work really hard, party, and burn the candle at both ends. I think Japanese now, young Japanese, have a good assessment of the lay of the land. And so... They're thinking of alternative ways that are more sustainable, a better work-life balance, and they're fighting against these old structures to live a healthier life. So Japan might not be a superpower where 
it's going to be building up the military or calling all the shots economically. But the average person in all countries don't really care about those things. Mm-hmm. That's an elite business. And I think for regular Japanese, they're still going to be working hard and and still a democratic country. It's just going to be a country that is going to you know, march at its own pace. That I think it's ultimately something that all countries will have to do. Talking of exactly that, Bobby, we've got <laughs> some people to thank, haven't we? Yes, uh, just quickly, Kumiko rejoined our membership. Uh, apparently, ding, ding. PayPal no longer works with Buy Me A Coffee, so she went to the trouble of redoing her JBRC membership. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yes, that's true. Buy Me A Coffee stopped accepting PayPal payments. You have to use a credit card, uh, Visa, Master, or American Express, and it will appear on your statement, not as Japan by River Cruise, uh, but as something else, either Buy Me A Coffee or RGB Monster, don't ask. Uh, so uh, that's that's what it, what it will appear as. Um, we can't change it because trust us if we could we'd obviously write porn (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Troy Brophy claimed one of the boys a full merch pack and he also bought us a coffee thank you very very much Patrick Mahoney who listed his name as Lawyer Brian uh, also joined as a member and he says this podcast is like therapy helping me understand this strange world my husband has dragged me into yes the world of Japanese river cruises can be (laughs) confusing at first but stick with us and we'll get you through it also, we thanked Aaron Kemmerer last week, and then Lewis Prawn Bryan got in contact with us to say, that's me. We were not aware of that. Uh, and now that we are, we have notified the authorities of your real name. Thank you very much, uh, everybody uh, who continues to support the show. As a reminder, not only do you get the episodes early occasionally, but you also get between 15 and 30 minutes of bonus content that we couldn't fit into the main show. And now it's new and improved because before we used to drag the MP3s into a Dropbox that never worked and people would uh, would have to dance through treacle in order to get these episodes out. Now there is a new top of the range swanky exclusive podcast feed. So if you go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Japan by River Cruise. Uh, and choose a monthly membership for $5 a month or $50 a year. You don't have to renew. You can turn off auto-renewal and just have it for a year. Then you stick in your email address, and then it sends you a link, and it goes straight into your podcast player like a regular podcast. It's so much better. Uh, So please, if you are a monthly member, avail yourself of this service. And with that news about podcast RSS admin, shall we jump into, Bobby, the actual news? Bobby Judo, what is in the news this week? Well, Japan by River Cruise Season 4 is going gangbusters, and we've got more listens than ever before on our other show, Rugby Rugby, Ah, We Love Rugby, and guess who else is starting 2022 with a bang? North Korea. Uh, Tom, as our resident Momiji Manju and East Asian militarism expert, what is up with North Korea kickstarting 2022 with all of this show of military power? Well, for North Korea, I want to emphasize that for everybody that claims that they're an expert in North Korea, they're unlikely to be one because we can't get to North Korea. We can't interview the folks. So a lot of our predictions on what North Korea does is based on our theories and what other cases would do. Right. Mm. So what it tells us is that North Korea might be acting like other states when it feels that it's not it's insecure or it's not getting enough attention. And it's one of its few tools that it has are its missile launches because they know that they'll get a lot of attention from the media and all the other countries in the region are going to pay attention to it. If you think about North Korea's economy, it's the size of Montgomery, Alabama in the United States. That whole country's economy is tiny, yet it's able to bring the biggest superpowers of the world to the negotiating table 
whenever it does these launches. So I think that's the reason why they did it, that they have some political agenda and this is how they, they start the get the ball rolling. So what you're saying is if only we gave Alabama missiles, we'd take it more seriously. I don't want to give Alabama <laughs> missiles. There's some issues that I, I don't think they should put on the agenda. This is an important point, though, because whenever we see this stuff in the media, we view it as frightening and unsettling and North Korea is an unknown quantity and it's going to be dangerous. But, Tom, in your book, you contend with this idea that... Um, that it is normal for a country to have a military. And that, that's kind of something that makes Japan abnormal. So if we accept this idea, should we also apply this to North Korea, that their shows of military strength and that their desire to be viewed as a military power is not something unnatural. It's something that's the way of the world. Yeah, that's the norm, that states use their military muscle to be able to push their foreign policy this is not to say that North Korea doesn't have other options. It could choose to join the international community, engage in diplomacy, trade with the rest of the world. There are other options in which we could engage, and other countries use all parts of their toolkit. However, because there are sanctions against North Korea, the history issue and significant distrust, this is one of the options that they choose to take. Mm. And so that shouldn't be surprising that they do this, but they, they do find they did do it in the most obnoxious way <laughs> to mm. get people's attention. Yeah. But it's not really a show of military strength, though, is it? It's a show of like being able to launch a missile. It's like being able to put out some PR. I mean, what North Korea is doing is, is the same as what an Instagram influencer does to show off their, their perfect life. Like We all know that if push came to shove, North Korea could, could not sustain a war. Mm. Yeah, that's true. But then their objective is not to win a war outright. Their goal is to be able to enact a high cost on the other side that will get the other student negotiating table. Mm. And every time they test a missile, they're, it's a proof of concept. It gets more accurate each time. And also they still have nuclear capabilities. So yeah. it doesn't, North Korea might not be able to beat Japan in a war, but if it dropped a nuclear weapon on a major city, that's still a million people that could die and the devastation to the national community. So that's all they have to yeah. prove. And so it is a, a threat. And quite specifically, that city c could well be for Korka, Bobby. Yeah, it's, we're we're well within range, and that that's what's that's what's so scary about it. And coupled with the fact that you know when we think of North Korea, we think of a dictatorship that has all these human rights violations, and and it's just a bad place. But to be objectively fair, I mean, Russia and China and all of these other countries that are these huge military powers are also equally or equally bad or worse. But it is. It's might makes right. I mean, they have the military might, and so they get a seat at the table. Yeah, the nuclear club is an elite group that if you think about, North Korea was able to get multiple meetings with President Donald Trump. He got three meetings with the, with the United States and with South Korea. And think about how hard it is for <laughs> other countries to get a meeting. Even Germany can't just demand one and get yeah. it done it was the threat of nuclear capability that got them a meeting with donald trump but really i mean they could have done the same thing with a big mac meal <laughs> <laughs> let's pick up this thread of things the government should be paying attention to because we've talked a lot on the show about um how japanese right-wing politicians want this constitutional amendment to allow them to remilitarize and after reading your book i kind of feel like it might be a moot point is that a valid feeling yeah, that's my argument, and I just think it's not going to happen. Japan has the oldest unamended constitution in the world. That, so it requires uh, two-thirds of the diet to vote for the amendment and then the majority of the population to vote for it as well. That's a big ask 
from the the public. I think it, it could get through the government, and then if you have very low voter turnout, and that that is a concerning sign because voter turnout in Japan has been decreasing. It's almost getting to U.S. levels of just non、uh, engagement, and so that's where. When you have fewer people engaged, that in- increases more uncertainty, right? And then that's more, more,、uh, more chaos. So I guess it would be possible, <laughs> and but... that's of course low without U.S.-style voter suppression, which inevitably would happen if there was a, a real chance that this could get over the line. Yeah,、uh, <laughs> the U.S. has a sophisticated apparatus of voter suppression that,、uh, you know, ironically, <laughs> Japan has a much more liberal constitution than the U.S. or. Their their democracy is quite well built because it's kind of fresh that it came after the war and there was this moment where we're we're trying to remake the world according to a certain set of ideals and in some ways they got a nice constitution、uh, from the U.S. and developed domestically developed as well、mm. whereas the U.S. has a lot of baggage that we're tr- still trying to unwind and it's just become huge culture wars in this country that you don't see the same in Japan. But even so, even if they were able to get this constitutional amendment. I got the sense from your book that okay, now you're allowed to have a military again. They don't really have the resources or the infrastructure, and there's too many constraints to allow them to build an effective military. Exactly. I've always wondered this point. It's like, yeah, you've got the military. It's like you know, you've also got to use it, right? <laughs> like, it's not <laughs> enough to just remilitarize. You've got to then bloody go to war. And I don't think they, I don't think anyone fancies that. Yeah. So I use the analogy of software and hardware. So the constitution's your software. That's the the code that tells. What your characters can do in a game, right? Or、uh, and so you could change the software, but the hardware's still not there. If the population in twenty years is forty percent over the retirement age, they're not going to be producing so much for the economy in which you could tax them and buy a bunch of weapons or do R and D and pay soldiers. They they're not going to be soldiers themselves. And then you still need to run the economy. So the young folks are going to have to make, decide between joining Sony. Where there's a labor shortage and they could get bonuses for signing up, or join the military and go to war with North Korea, where you see on YouTube where these soldiers are like smashing stones on each other's heads to show how tough they are. Right? The, there's not really a tough decision for the average Japanese person to join the military or join the,、uh, a modern economy with all the bells and whistles that come with it. Well, that's、mm. the recruiting problem for the the Japanese military or, or the JSDF, I guess. But just just in 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 terms of larger questions, in terms of the economics, in terms of the demographics, I mean, what are the constraints that we're looking at in terms of their hardware? Yeah, so hardware is the we just talked about the bodies. The recruitment is going to be difficult.、Uh, the hardware would be the weapons, the your tanks and missiles and and things such as that. So the the quickest way to deterrence would be to acquire nuclear weapons. Right, because that that would be like I guess I want I don't want to say cost effective way because nuclear weapons are extremely expensive, but that would be the ultimate balancer because it's the most destructive weapon. But making up for a lack of bodies with advanced more advanced military technology. Yeah, exactly. That you don't need bodies to occupy North Korea or fight them in the battlefield if you could use nuclear weapons.、Uh, for one, is we don't really use nuclear weapons. No countries use them in warfare anymore, right? The United States was the last to use it, the only country to do it. So even if Japan acquired it, is there a motivation to use it? And I find it very difficult for the country to be the only victim of nuclear weapons to acquire them without significant、uh, backlash from the public and the、mm. international community. So、yeah. that's not really an option. There won't be public support, and also that they're not—they're not weapons in any true sense, are they? They're the big stick. Yeah, 
the interesting thing for me about this discussion is it's kind of predicated on the American support eventually going, right? Like all of this talk of needing military to support forgets the fact that there are literally huge military bases in South Korea and military bases all over Japan. I mean, in terms of capacity, would a beefed up Japanese army even make a dent in what support America could, in theory, give should worse come to the worst? Well, Japan is a wealthy country. So if it you know, develop weapons with the United States that would decrease the costs for the United States. Mm. Uh, if they bought American hardware, which they already do in foreign military sales, the Americans make a lot of money on those sales. So there is a, a, a benefit to the United States politically and economically. So it, But when it comes to turning the tide of warfare, the United States can end the planet any way it wants with its military power if it went to the extreme, right, with nuclear weapons right. and things such as that. So when we're talking about nuclear weapons, its value is really in its non-use because the moment we're using them, the the, the stakes have changed where we're, we're ending civilization, right? So Yeah, it, right. Mm. Right now, America's just playing the slow game ending civilization with Facebook instead. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to ask a dumb question, and I think I, I tend to do that anyway, but this time I want permission for it. Go for it. Um, <laughs> As an American, I get the sense that... <laughs> I love that. I love that. Can I ask you a question? Yes, of course. Right. I'm going to start it with the words, as an American. <laughs> All right. He's off. America. As an American, my idea is that war is good for the economy. It galvanizes the economy. It, you know, it, it brings you out of economic slumps or recessions. Why is that not the case for Japan? I think that's a myth that wars are good for the economy. I mean, just think about the costs that the U.S. paid for in Iraq and Afghanistan and the trillions and also all the lives that were lost and the productivity that's lost when they're sent to war. I mean, the old argument is war is good for the economy because of the production. So might as well build the tanks and send them right into the ocean and not kill a single person and you're still getting <laughs> you're still getting the productivity, right? So it, it's not as if the Japanese public is not productive or the government can't think of, think of ways in order to get the people to produce things to grow the economy. Japan's a high domestic consumption country. It has uh, uh, factories all over the world. It's a highly advanced economy. The, the economy doesn't need juicing. The problem is they just don't have the bodies to continue to grow at the pace that they've had. And it's a robust social welfare state. So as the population gets older, a lot of that money that's produced for the economy has to go towards the old people who mm. worked 80 hours a week for 40 years and lived in bed towns away from their family. You got to pay them off. You got to give them their benefits. And presumably in terms of recruitment, there's a, there's a, a, a real question of, well, what am I signing up for? What's the narrative that's being sold to a young Japanese individual who's thinking of joining the military other than... North Korea is a bit erratic, isn't it? They don't even do that. It's hang out with hot soldier girls. Yeah, there is a, the, the, the strategy of using attractive women for recruitment materials and magazines to attract a certain demographic. It's going to be young men generally that joins militaries around the world. So that's one of the strategies. But if you look at commercials in the United States for the military, it's like a Michael Bay movie, right? Just like high mm -hmm. energy, the technology there, go defend the country. Think about how many people joined the military after 9-11, mm -hmm. right? To, to support the country and to fight terrorists. Weapons and explosions and, and yes. all the training imagery, yeah. And, and for Japan, those commercials, they, they downplay that and they focus on... They do talk about defending the country. The self-defense force is still a military and its prime objective or directive is to defend the country. But they also highlight the peacekeeping operations, the disaster relief that they do uh, domestically, especially since Japan uh, endures a lot of natural disasters. So that's something else that they emphasize. And then also you have just people that 
care about the country and they want to serve the country in this capacity and want to defend it. But these motivations are not are not purely to fight the enemy. That that they keep that abstract because if you think about having to fight China or North Korea, those aren't great odds. And and where's the what do you gain from that? It's just an it's a big risk that they have to take on. So Tom, while we have you the main thing that I'd like to ask is, what is modern Japanese security policy most concerned with currently? I think for the government, the main concern will still be China, North Korea, and traditional security things. That is the job of the government to secure its borders and to prevent the loss of the Senkaku Islands and its and incursions into its territories. And then they're going to still try to use the military that way. However, there's other broader security concerns such as the economy and things such as that that will draw attention and resources from the government away, which makes it difficult to really boost up the power of the military. So your book paints a pretty bleak picture of the future because of demographic concerns, because of economic concerns. Uh, it's, it's this question of, you know, will Japan have the resources to provide its own security? And the answers are not great. So I'm wondering... Personally, what do you think life in Japan is going to look like in 30 years? Actually, the book ends on a positive note where I argue that Japan might be the canary in the coal mine for a new model of the use of the military and way of living around the world. So I'm Vietnamese and in, in Vietnam, there, we have like this myth with an owl. So like if an owl shows up at your doorstep, it's considered bad luck mm. because the owl is telling you that someone's going to die or something like that. Uh, but in reality, it's a good sign because it's giving you an early warning to get ready for a bad event so you can prepare yourself. It's just kind of hating the messenger more so than the message. And so for Japan, its population is declining, but so is Korea's, China's, Russia's, and the United States eventually too. So Japan now is making that transition before everyone else. And I think because the self-defense force is used for disaster relief, that others can learn from them and that Japan's going to live uh, just a different pace that's not just so concerned about growth and traditional mm -hmm. power. I think there definitely is a need to kind of reevaluate the way we look at those scary figures and projections for the future. Because anytime I see those numbers that's like, you know, in 30 years, most of Japan's population is going to be over 65. I'm like, oh, shit, this is terrible. And then I remember that that's going to be me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean... So let's just play it out. What happens when over the majority of the population is over the age of 65? It just means that people will probably have to live longer. Consumption goes down and we'll reevaluate how much do we really have to consume. Just think about how much garbage we use all the time. We're just going to have to decrease that. And then also where we spend our energies. And so if you're not going to spend as much on the military, you might spend it on you know the social safety net. So countries just adjust. Uh, because they need to, or they don't, and the country declines, and people die, and then eventually finds an equilibrium. Right? This is a, <laughs> yeah, a dark way yeah. to look at it, but it, the math will play itself out. A country doesn't just stop existing; it just changes its way of being, and maybe down the line, Japan will start being uh, Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the point I, I want to make is that I, I do think 2020 was a real tragic time uh, for Japan. I mean, COVID, obviously, mm. but I, I think that. The country, that was a critical juncture in that it did get the Olympics and it was going to pay for it anyway. And if you looked at immigration numbers towards Japan entering 2020, they were increasing. The laws were changing to allow for more medium-skilled labor from other parts of South Asia to go in. Tourism went up. And there was beginning to see a shift in the economics that could have led to a shift in the culture. 
But what ended up happening after 2020 is that the conservative tendencies kicked in because when the country felt vulnerable, it kind of relied on what it knew. And so now Japan has closed its borders, you know, not allowed students to come in to study and then become more selective on who can come in and who can come out and reaffirming who's an outsider and insider. So I think that's kind of the real tragedy of it all, that Japan is heading in the right direction, but COVID-19 may have set it back a generation again. Our last guest uh, looked at it and kind of like it gave Japan the opportunity to do what it wanted in that, you know, they finally had a reason to go back to sort of an isolationist policy. They finally had a reason yeah. to shut the doors. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> I don't think that's fair because uh, the country's still interested in making money. Right. And mm. so uh, it has to uh, open up and it has to trade. And also, I think. That may be a segment of the government, but that's not fair to the younger population that I think have shifted their values and they're more interested globally. Mm. And also, I think mm. that's unfair to the women in Japan who they study abroad more than the men in the country. They're, they're the ones that benefit the least from the current state of affairs. In general, right. women benefit the least on how states are designed. And so they're incredibly progressive and open-minded, but you know, politicians do have more power than the general public and they were able mm. to kind of reign in the country, but I wouldn't say Japan, what Japan does is what the Japanese want to do, right? That's a reflection sure. of conservative power than the potential of the country. But it is interesting, though, that you said that the consequence of COVID is Japan ended up going backwards, because a lot of the consensus is that COVID has acted as an accelerant for a lot of trends. And what you're basically saying is Japan was on the decline, uh, and COVID's just, <laughs> just helped to get there quicker. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 113 of Japan by River Cruise. If you'd like to donate US dollars only, no Bitcoin, please, uh, you can do so at japanbyrivercruise.com. And thank you very much to our guest this week, Tom Lee. Tom, I enjoyed your book, Japan's Aging Peace, very, very much. And we really appreciate you joining us on the show to walk us through it. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Uh, if people want to check out the book, just it's on Amazon or Columbia's website. And if you want to follow my gigantic bags from my crypto losses, just <laughs> look for me on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you very much, and we will see you next week. Hey!